right, good morning. Good to see you today. You glad to be in the Lord's house today? Yeah, I like that. That's good. That's good. Hey, once again, we are about investing in the people of our church. We invest in the men. We invest in the women. Uh, last night, we invested in marriages. It was marriage night. I had a fantastic time. If you made it, you know that's true. If you didn't, uh, maybe you can get in next year. We had about 250 people here. I want to give a shout out to our students uh, who served us well. It's so cool. And also our audiovisual team who take, took care of everything. And uh, we had a great, great night. That's why we're still set up as round tables. And so I told them last night, and I'll tell you, uh, 250 last night, we'll probably have 500 people next year. It's just kind of the nature of our church right now. It's just kind of seeing really explosive growth, and it's really cool. And you all look amazing. Y'all, this look great today, okay? I just want to tell you that. So we had a big night last night, and uh, we celebrate marriage, and we celebrate Christian manhood and womanhood, and we're investing in different people groups in our church, and we're just excited. And so uh, this morning, uh, we're going to look into something uh, that's a little bit unique, a person who is very unique, who impacted our world. And, and I want you to know something. If you're a child of God, if you've been born again saved, God wants you to impact three different worlds. Sounds like something from Star Wars, but this is true. This is factual. He wants you to impact heaven. You see, the Bible says when somebody comes to the Lord, the angels in heaven rejoice. So they throw a party to get excited when somebody comes to the Lord. And the, and the dimension, the complexion of heaven changes when one person comes to the Lord. So that world is impacted by your salvation. And number two, uh, the dimensions of hell, the occupancy of eternal hell is changed when somebody gets saved. They are rescued from that eternal destiny into a destination called heaven. So hell, that world is changed. But at the same time, when somebody's born again, when the Spirit of the living God comes into our life, God's goal for you is for you to impact this world. You see, you're no longer a child of the darkness, you're a child of light. You're no longer a child of this world, you're a child of the truth. And so now you walk in truth and you live your life in truth. And it doesn't mean you're perfect, it just means you're different from the rest of the world. And because of that, this world, this world... This globe is supposed to be different, impacted because of you. That's pretty incredible when you, when you think about it because sometimes you just look in the mirror and you just say, that's just me looking back at me. But from God's vantage point, he wants you to radically impact the world. You see, he saves you because he wants you to help other people be saved. That's why you're saved. It's not just because you're special. He picks you. He saved you. He just excited about spending eternity with you. He is all that, but he wants to employ you and deploy you in his kingdom agenda, helping people find their way out of darkness into light. That's what we're going to talk about today, and we're going to look at an extraordinary character in the Bible. We're in a series from the book of Acts called, Can I Get a Witness? Everybody say, Can I Get a Witness? That's God's question to the local church in 2024, can I get a witness? Because we've become the silent crew. When the whole world is screaming their agenda, often we just remain silent because we don't want to offend somebody. Listen, rescuing somebody from hell is not offensive, but the gospel required for that to happen is offensive. And so we need to be on the offensive, not the defensive, the offensive. How do we do that? We love well, we share well, and we share our testimony. You see, the greatest tool that you have in your, in your life, in, in, your, uh, in your pocket, is the Lord Jesus and, he, and, and the testimony of how he changed your life. And, and so, arguably, the, the human being that changed the world the most, all three worlds, heaven, hell, and this world, is Jesus Christ. And God's goal for you is to, for you to be like Jesus. That's it. 
He wants you to conform to the image of Christ. And ultimately, you'll do it in heaven. But while you're here in the intermission between now and heaven, he wants you to gradually, one day at a time, to act more like Jesus, to love more like Jesus, to talk more like Jesus, and to be a representation of Jesus to your world. That's his goal for everybody. It's the same. Look at the person next to you. It's the same for them. It's it's the same for all of us, and that's what God wants. And and so next to Jesus impacting the world, arguably the the second person, because you can make a list of people who impact the world, even in America. Oh, George Washington, he impacted the world. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, uh, emancipation. uh, You know, you got these names that you say, these guys are, you know, they changed the world. Uh, Thomas Edison, you know, uh, Albert Einstein. The list is long. But arguably next to Jesus Christ, the one person who impacted the world the most would be Paul. And, and, and he's an incredible individual who impacted the world. But Paul was not always Paul. Paul was Saul. And he was not always this, uh, this poster child for Christianity, this stellar example of what a Christian life is supposed to be. He started just like we did. Uh, his, his focus, his drive, his determination was built upon his past, but his past didn't determine his future. And I want you to know that today. Your failures in the past, they influence your future, but they do not determine your future. Jesus determines your future. And we're going to look at an example who was an abysmal failure when it comes to being who God really wanted him to be. And all the while, he thought he was right. He thought he was on the right side of the equation. He thought he was on God's team. And all the while, he had been blinded, and he missed out. But that's where the grace of God steps in. The grace of God steps into a mess and makes it a message. The grace of God steps into a failure and rewrites the narrative to move that failure into a place of success from God's viewpoint. And so today we're going to look at this example. Now, we were introduced to him as Saul, okay, in Acts chapter 8. He's Saul of Tarsus. And and he steps onto the scene with a passion and a zeal. And his passion and his zeal is for God But it's not for Jesus Christ, who is also God. He missed the memo that Jesus fulfilled everything that Paul, excuse me, Saul knew about the Old Testament. And and so he's got this agenda, and the agenda is against the local church. He hates you. He hates this, the church. He hates Jesus as claiming to be the Messiah. He understood that the Messiah was coming through the Jewish, Jewish people, but he didn't get the memo that Jesus had fulfilled uh, what all that God said that he was going to do. So what does he do? He steps onto the scene. You'll remember in Acts chapter 8, and, and, and the Bible says that there's a guy, Philip, uh, there's a guy named Stephen, who's the first, uh, de- one of the first deacons, and then he's an evangelist or a preacher, and he's giving his testimony about Jesus. He's just proclaiming the truth of the gospel, and he's doing it to Jews. Well, they don't want to hear it because they don't believe Jesus is the Messiah. So what, so what do they do? They drag him outside and they stone him to death. And the Bible says that all those who stoned Stephen laid their cloaks or their coats or their jackets at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul was the authoritarian Jewish figure. He, he had, a, had risen to a place of prominence. And so he, 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 uh, um, he accepted and he embraced and endorsed the idea of stoning an innocent man without a trial, all because Stephen was talking about Jesus. I mean, it's a bad day for Stephen in some light, but the Bible says that Stephen, after giving his testimony, he looked and he saw Jesus at the right hand of the Father standing, and he died and he went to heaven. So it was a win for Stephen, but in the church, Saul is trying to wipe this 
thing out. He stood against what was called the people of the way. Did you know the church originally was called the people of the way? That's what they said. These are the people of the way, not the church, the people of the way. Why? Because Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. So these people were following that way, the way to life, the way to truth, and ultimately the way to heaven. So, so he, Saul takes on himself to to eradicate, to eliminate this idea of the people of the way or the church. Now, his motivation wasn't bad. He, he thought he was on the right side. He thought he was, he was doing what God wanted him, wanted him to do. But he thought that when the Old Testament talked about a Messiah coming, he was going to be a military giant. He was going to be a political leader who would reestablish Jews and Israel as the leader of the world. Jesus didn't come that way the first time. He came as a suffering servant to save the world. Oh, but when he comes the second time, he's going to come like Saul thought he was going to come the first time. So he missed the memo that there's an intermission between, between what God, which is called the church age, between uh, Jesus coming the first time and Jesus coming the second time. Now, and sometimes we do that. Sometimes we develop this particular agenda or this passion or this zeal about stuff in this world, stuff in our life that, that we think we're doing right. And man, we plan our feet down. We chatter about it. We've got it all figured out. We've got the answers to all the questions and, and we think we're doing right. And meanwhile, we're being used by the devil. And so we've got to be cautious about that. We've got to, be, we've got to realize that it's easy for the enemy to deceive us into believing and standing for something that is not actually true. And, and so Saul is a guy, he's raised in prominence. He, he would be hated by today's woke joke arena world because he was a person of privilege. He was a person who was well-educated, one of the brightest minds of the day, educated by the brightest minds of the day. He went to the greatest schools. He had wealth. He, 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 he had memorized the biggest part of the Old Testament. Uh, he was a brilliant man, had no wife, no children, no home to run and hide to. Most of his life was alone. But when we continue to read the New Testament, we see another personality out of the same person. We meet another person, but it's really the same person. And the only difference between these two people, one is called Saul of Tarsus and one is called the Apostle Paul. Now, what's the difference? Are you ready? The only difference between those two people is a heart change. What stood in the middle of those two uh, just adamantly opposed personalities was a heart change, a heart where the King of glory, Jesus Christ, came in and made a brand new creature. And I'm here to tell you today, listen to me, that's what happens when God comes into your life. He changes everything from the inside out. It's not a fresh coat of paint, okay? It's not a fresh hair dye. It's not some new makeup or lipstick. It's, it's not, it, it is a change from the inside out. You see, we can do things superficially all day long to, to, to make the outside more appealing. We can get us a new shirt or a jacket. We can get us a fresh haircut, grow us a goofy beard, whatever we want to do to kind of change the outside. God could care less really about the outside. God is concerned about the depth of your heart and your soul. And he reaches into the core of that, whispers over it, implants his Holy Spirit in it, and changes us from the inside out. And that's what he did for Saul of Tarsus, making him the Apostle Paul. And he is not the exception, he's the rule. I want you to know today, you are much like Saul of Tarsus, and God's desire is to make you more like the Apostle Paul. Every single human being that ever walks the planet. You see, Saul was born... A Jew, 
a devout Jew, but he was born again a devoted Christian. Saul of Tarsus would become the Apostle Paul. He would be called the evangelist to the Gentiles. Gentile, that's us. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. That's us. That's most of us. Okay. Paul was radically saved by Jesus so he would give the message to us from the Jews to us. Now, he used him in a powerful way. If you read the Bible, and I hope you do, you should, in the New Testament, there's 27 books. 13 of those books are written by Paul, the same guy who was called Saul, okay? I'm telling you, God determines our future, not our past failures. And so he wrote uh, 13 of the 27 books, but also Dr. Luke, who wrote Acts and the Gospel of Luke, he devotes most of the book of Acts to the character of Paul. If you take this guy out of the Bible, everything changes. And I'm telling you, he started just like you and I do. And I want you to know today, God has big plans for you in his kingdom agenda. He wants to deploy you and use you for something greater than you can even imagine. Every single person in here has a circle of influence. All these students, you all have a circle of influence. All of us adults, we have a circle of influence. It may look like our family. It may look like our neighborhood. It may look like the place we work. It may be, be, look like the business we own. Everybody has a circle of influence, and God wants you to be the one to impact your circle. And, and sometimes we stand around and we think, boy, my circle's terrible. I wish somebody would show up and make it better. <laughs> That's you. That's you. That's what God wants of you. So, so what, what we're going to see today is what's what I'll call, you didn't get a life guide, and I'll tell you why in case they didn't in the announcements. So Dan Foreman, one of our chairman of the deacons, he had his gallbladder removed uh, Friday and Saturday. Not, it was two, two different procedures. And Carol, his wife, does her life guide, and so no life guide. So I, you can take some notes in your mind. You can write in your Bible. That's okay. Or you can write it on your hand. But I would like for you to take some notes, some notes for today. The title of the message is this, The Making of of a testimony, the making of a testimony. If you are saved, you have a testimony. If you don't have a testimony, you are not saved. I'm gonna say that again. I didn't say it in the early service. That's really good. If you are saved, you have a testimony. If you are not saved, you have no testimony. If you have no testimony, you're not saved. That's, it's that simple. What is a testimony? A testimony is the ability to give an, an eyewitness account of something that has happened in your life. That's your testimony. So number one, every testimony begins just like Saul of Tarsus. It begins in what I will call bound in darkness. Okay, to put it in layman's terms, this is what we would call my life BC, my life before Christ, okay? Everybody's life begins right here. Listen to what happens in Acts chapter 9, verse 1. This is Saul of Tarsus, the same one who approved of the stoning of Stephen. It says, meanwhile, Saul, his name's still Saul, still breathing out threats of murder, the, uh, to mur uh, breathing out threats to murder, the Lord's disciples went to the high priest. He's serious. I mean, he's murdering and imprisoning and persecuting the church. It says, and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any who belonged to the way, either men or women, he could bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he was going along, approaching Damascus. Now, every testimony begins right here. He said, well, wait a minute. I never persecuted the church. I, I've never been hunting for people to murder them. No, but you were born antagonistic and against Jesus Christ. 
Sometimes you can say, you'll ask somebody, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. How long have you been a Christian? I was born a Christian. No, you weren't. How long have you been a Christian? I've been a Christian all my life. No, not true. Listen, you were not born a Christian. You were born headed to hell. You were born with a depraved soul separated from a perfect, loving, merciful, gracious God. He didn't design it that way. We brought it on ourselves. When you read the Genesis account, we got two good chapters in, that, in, that, in the first biggest part of the Bible. Genesis 1 and 2, and then the wheels fall off. And all of us are under this curse called a sin curse. We are born in sin. Now, I, I didn't intend to say this in early service, but it, so I don't want to leave it out for you. So, so, so you're saying that we're all born in sin. We're conceived in sin. The answer to that question is yes. I'll show you in Scripture. So what happens to a baby that's aborted? What happens to a baby that's miscarried? They're going to hell? I don't believe that for a second. Well, why don't you believe that? You just said we're born sinful. We're conceived in sin. Jesus said, let the children come to me. David said, I can't, I, I, my son can't come to where I am, but I, one day I'll go to where he is. King David knew that when his son died, he went to heaven. That's what he believed. And I believe all babies go to heaven. I believe that. Uh, I believe w- whether they're aborted, whether it's just a, a, a miscarried baby, whatever it is, I believe they go to heaven. Now, does that mean one day when we go to heaven, we're going to get up there and look around? There's going to be Methuselah. He's like 900 and something. He's an old geezer, oldest guy up there. And then you look over here and there's a bunch of fetuses running around. What are we going to do with that? What do we do with that? Okay. I don't believe it for a second. What I do believe is this. Jesus lived a life of 33 years, three of it public ministry. I believe Jesus received his glorified bodies when he, when he was, his glorified body when, and demonstrated it when he was in his early 30s. Science tells us that we start aging when we get in our early 30s. Did you know that? Uh, young people, right now, you're producing more new cells every day than the cells that are dying. And every night when you lay down, all those dead cells are falling off in your bed. I hope you change your sheets regularly because it's full of old dead you stuff, okay? And adults, we can laugh at them. The only difference between them and us, our old cells falling off. We're not getting any new stuff. That's why when we turn about 30, early 30s, we start showing signs of aging. We get wrinkles, you know, because our cells are not producing as quickly. So what do I believe about heaven? I believe we're going to be like Jesus' glorified body. I believe those fetuses that were aborted, I believe those, uh, those babies that were aborted, I believe those babies that were miscarried, I believe the, the senior adults who lived ripe old age of 100 die, I believe well, we're all going to be about in our 30s. I believe that, and I, don't, I can't show you a bunch of scripture to make it true, but we got to be some age, and Jesus had a good one, and quite honestly, I like my 30s. I don't want to be 14 again going through puberty and voice changing, hair, two hairs under your arm, wondering what that's about. I don't want to be that, okay? And I really, I don't want to be, I'm hobbling around on a new knee. I ain't crazy. I wouldn't want to spend eternity in my 60s. But Bob, I like 30s. You like 30s? We like 30s. It was a good season, okay? So I digress. Uh, so, so all of that, we're born. We're not born saved. We're born depraved. Well, that's a good little rhyme right there. Never said that. We're not born saved. We're born depraved. Now, Saul steps onto the scene. He's the leader of the mob. He's trying to exterminate the church. That's his, that's his goal. That's his desire. That's his ambition. And, and, and the Bible says he was a young man. Now, this word in the Greek references the fact that he was probably under 40. So he was probably born about the same time Jesus was. He would have been familiar with the life of Jesus, possibly. Certainly familiar with the ministry of Jesus. Certainly familiar with the death, burial, and resurrection story of Jesus. But he rejected Jesus as Messiah. 
He was a, he was a Jewish man. I'm a, I'm a Jew guy. I'm, I'm for the Jewish people, the people of God. And, and I'm looking for a Messiah, but he doesn't look like the one that said he was the Messiah, whose name was Jesus. Now, he was probably part of the Sanhedrin. Uh, he was prided himself on uh, allegiance to the law. Uh, he was focused on being right. And now Jesus, he's stomping out the church. Now listen to this. This is interesting. The church is now moving because it's being scattered because of persecution. So a group of them have gone to Damascus. So where's Damascus? Damascus is kind of northeast from Jerusalem, 140 miles. Now how mad is this guy named Saul? He's mad enough to take his fight to Damascus, 140 miles. Well, he didn't get on a plane. That's a walk, six days walking. Have you ever been mad at something so much you could just eat nails, punch a concrete wall? That's one thing. But have you ever been so mad that you would walk from here to almost Lexington to pick a fight? I mean, he is enraged. He is zealous about exterminating the people of the way called the local church. And it's good news today. He was not successful. Had he been successful, guess what? We would have been doing something else today. We wouldn't have been in church. But we're a product of, of God pushing through anything that stands in opposition to him. Saul was a guy where he had it all figured out. There was no room for debate, no margin for error, no variations to be considered. He was right and everybody was wrong. Now, I just need to issue a, a, a warning here. Sometimes we do that. We establish a, an agenda in our heart where we have it all figured out. we got all the answers. There's no room for variation, no room for discussion, no room for mercy or grace or love. I'm going to put my foot down like Saul, and I'm going to determine myself to be right at whatever cost. We've got to be careful about that because God steps in to the middle of it. For every person who's ever walked on the planet, this is what a testimony begins like. It begins in an awareness that we are bound to darkness. Everybody say bound to darkness. Fortunately, when we read the Bible, God is really good about telling us who we are in the core, but he never leaves us there. He always tells us the rest of the story. He's like, this is what's real, and it's not good. It's not looking good for you, but. And then he tells us the rest of the story. And so tension arises in his soul. He knows that something's going on because there are people who are literally giving all of their possessions to the church. They're willing to move from Jerusalem to Damascus and establish new roots for their family because they, they are as serious about the church as he is serious about Judaism. So he knows that there's something going on, but he's too prideful. You see, when we read in Galatians 1, we find out that he was, he was educated, knew, uh, memorized most of the Old Testament, uh, educated by Gamaliel, who was, the, who was the scholar of the day, educated in the finest schools of the area with the greatest libraries. He spoke, we know, Hebrew, Aramaic, Greek, and Latin, and possibly two or three other languages. This guy was a stud. This guy had a reputation that preceded him. People knew he was something else. He was different from the rest. But, but God had something greater for him. You see, a person day by day, just like Saul, we develop a persona. 
Something that we present to the world. We do it with our cars. We do it with our homes. We do it with our clothes. We do it with our hair. We do it with our makeup. We do it with our vocabulary. We do it with our academia. We do it with our athletic successes. We develop a persona to present to the world. Listen to me. There's nothing wrong with any of those things I just listed. Absolutely nothing wrong. But God is really very, is concerned very little about all of that stuff. God's goal for your persona is that you make much of Jesus in your life. That's it. He really makes it simple. We don't have to worry about what other people think about us. We need to worry about what other people think about Jesus. That should be our goal. And, and, And Saul is getting ready to understand that full well. Every single testimony begins with a guilty person pretending to be innocent. There it is. Every testimony begins with a guilty person pretending to be innocent. You ask people, you ask people if they're saved and, and sometimes they'll say, yes, I'm saved. I believe in Jesus going to heaven when I die. Well, why are you going to heaven when you die? Because I'm a good person. Eh, wrong answer. Well, what makes you think you're a good person? I'm, I, I'm telling you, you go do your own survey. You'll hear it because I, I, I do more good things than I do bad. Eh, that's going to get you nowhere. You see, you can't do enough good things to fix the bad things. You can't do enough great things to repair the broken things. If you, if you made one bad decision, you, and you have, we all have, because we're sinful, because we have this, this, this natural bent, we have this flesh that battles and doesn't want us to be found obedient to God, so we all make mistakes. We can't fix our mistakes. <clears throat> That's why Jesus came. The Bible says you are not saved of works. It is a gift of God, Okay? Salvation is all about what Jesus does. So a testimony begins when we, when we become keenly aware that we are not right with God. It's a moment in time when we think we're good, but then all of a sudden something begins to turn inside and we realize, yeah, I'm a little bit messed up. I, I didn't really realize that. And that's just the beginning because we're really messed up, not just a little. Let me give you some scripture to help you be mindful of where we all come from. It's important, listen to me, don't ever forget where you came from. Some people forget where they come from. They rise to the occasion, now there's somebody and they forget their roots, their origin. I wanna remind you of your origin, you ready? Every person, this is it. Romans three twenty three. all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's who we all are. Uh, Psalm 51.5, I was guilty of sin from birth, a sinner the moment my mother conceived me. That's what the psalmist says. John 3, Jesus said, the light has come into the world. The people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. He's describing all of us. And lastly, 2 Corinthians 4.4, among whom the God of this age has blinded the minds of those who do not believe so they would not see the light of the glorious gospel of Christ who is the image of God. That just says some people are born in darkness and they continue to live in darkness until they die and they spend eternity in the darkness of a place called hell. And and so the making of a testimony begins with people who are unknowingly bound in darkness. This is why we have to help them understand that. It's why young people, when you bring your children to church, they're learning the reality of who we are. I mean, they're not back there blistering them. You know, you better ask Jesus in your heart, are you going to burn in hell forever? Do you want that? Well, you can, you can get saved. and no, we don't do that. You know, hey, you need to get baptized. If you do, we'll give you a teddy bear. You know, none of that. We just introduce them to the reality of God and his love for us through Jesus, his son. So it begins bound in darkness. But number two, the next step in every testimony requires that we're blinded by the light. A moment in time where the darkness is penetrated 
and light shines in. This is, this is the beautiful part of a testimony. And, and the first part, I said, this is my life, B.C., before Christ. I would call this my encounter with Jesus. This is my collision course with the king of the universe, okay? You gotta have, you, you, you've got to have an encounter with the king of glory. Listen to me. I've already, we, we all agree. If you agree that we're born sinful, depraved, headed to hell, so that's true. Okay, so we're all on the same page. All right, now, to move from that, there is only one solution. One, that's it. It's not to be a better person, not to make a new you, not to turn over a new leaf, not to create some new, uh, some new traditions, uh, none of that. It's to have a collision course with light, and his name is Jesus. That's the only thing that will change your original condition. Now, listen to what happens. It says, suddenly, a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Pause right there. I want you to notice something. There's people sometimes who, who give the church a bad name. You just chatter about the church. I'm not saying you, but there's people out there. Maybe sometimes you, it's you. Maybe it is you sometimes. You get your underwear bunched up about something somebody said, or you don't like something that I said, or maybe I was too hard, or, 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 or you hear people, they just say, I don't like church, a bunch of, bunch of uh a uh, bunch of, yeah, 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 all about the church, a bunch of hypocrites, and which is, if they ever say that, just say, that's right, man, come on, there's always room for another one. You'd be perfect fit. So, so, so people giving the church down the road, listen to me. Paul, or Saul, so far in the text, he hadn't said anything about Jesus. He's stomping out the church, the people who are the church, the people of the way. Now, they're believing in Jesus, but his assault is on the church, right? Not not from Jesus' vantage point. You pick a fight with the church, you're picking a fight with Jesus. Jesus gets real personal when somebody starts picking on his church. Why? You ready? Because the church is the bride of Jesus Christ. Listen, you can slam on me, pick on me, say what you want to about me. I might get mad, I might not. But don't you say something about my wife, okay? I'll punch you in the name of Jesus, and then ask for forgiveness. I got, I'm under grace, man. I can do that. Okay, so, so we take our spouse, our bride seriously, right? We defend her. Jesus steps into the equation. He says, hey, why are you persecuting me? Now listen to his response. He says, who are you, Lord? He doesn't know him. Why does he not know him? Because he's still the old Saul of Tarsus. He's still the old depraved guy who has not had a collision course with light yet. He's still in darkness. And every person who doesn't know Jesus are still depraved. They, 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 they haven't come out of the darkness yet. So he says, I, I, I don't know you. Who are you? And Jesus replied, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. Well, I thought I was persecuting the church. You are. And it's an assault, an affront to me. So be careful when you get start chattering about the church, okay? And I'll say this about a church. I'm very candid about it, transparent. I love this church, man. It's a good church. God's doing fantastic things here. And you're part of it, man. You're beautiful. Man, I love you. I, I, God's doing something here, and you're in a good place. I don't say that because of a pep talk. I say it because I've been, I've been in church my whole life, and, and something Something beautiful is going on here, and it's the handiwork and the fingerprints of God. And, and, and so, so as it grows, people have differences because we all come from different backgrounds and persuasions. And if we're not careful, we end up fighting and yeah yang against each other. And I'm telling you, I'm with Jesus. 
I'll, I'll fight you. I'm going to defend what God wants to do in this church. And you should too, amen? Amen. So he says, uh, I am Jesus who you're persecuting. Now, if you're reading a King James Version, which I love, or a New King James Version, there's another verse in there that doesn't make it in all of the translations. And this is what it says. It says, uh, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. And, and so what is he even talking about? Well, what he's, what he's saying to Saul is, Saul, you are a religious man. I told you throughout the Old Testament that I was coming, and you missed the memo. You missed me coming. You missed understanding that I am the one that has been promised to your people for thousands of years. And, and he said, I've been trying to get your attention, and you keep resisting. Now, what is a goad? If you're a farmer 2,000 years ago, and you would have an ox or a cow or a donkey or whatever pulling your plow or pulling your wagon or whatever it is, and those things just get a little unruly. They don't do what they're supposed to do. The farmer would have a long stick with a very pointed end on it. And if the animal didn't want to do what he, what he wanted him to do, he'd just give him a good poke in the hind end. Ew, I'm, I'm in. I'm back in the game, coach. You know. And, and so what he's saying is the harder you kick, because sometimes if you poke the animal, he would start kicking. Well, the more he kicked, the harder it hurt. And so he said, listen, you can keep kicking against the goad, against this pointed thing I'm putting in your life all you want to. It's not going to get any easier. Now, I want you to know something. That is the way that God pursues us, okay? He sends circumstances in our life, circumstances and difficulties sometimes and storylines that are just hard. And all the while, it's his way of of wooing us, of inviting us, of reminding us, of encouraging us that he's right there and he wants you to be with him. And it's different for all of us. It's a little different, but in its root nature, it's the same. We're people who are bound in darkness and people who need to have an encounter with the light. Now it says, he says, stop kicking against the goads, verse six, but stand up and enter the city that you will be, and you will be told what you must do. Now, the men who were traveling with him stood there speechless because they heard the voice, but they didn't see anyone. So Saul got up from the ground, but although his eyes were open, he couldn't see, he could see nothing. Leading him by the hand, his companions brought him to Damascus. For three days, he could not see and neither ate nor drank anything. Now, suddenly, out of nowhere, this thing cuts through the noise. This collision course with Jesus cuts through the noise. That's what it looks like. When you're bound in darkness and the light wants to penetrate your life, it comes out of nowhere when you least expect it. For me, I was a little nine-year-old boy sitting in a revival, couldn't pay attention if I wanted to. I did want to, just couldn't do it. I mean, I could pay attention, but to all the wrong things. And through all of that noise and all of that chatter of the, the world and in my mind, the Holy Spirit of God just, just cut right through it. And that's what he does. He does it suddenly. I, human words can't do that. A conversation with a friend can't do that. Uh, but God knows how to rattle a human being's cage. Now, sometimes people will say to me, a pastor, will you pray for my brother? He's lost. I'd be happy to pray for, you, pray for your brother. We should pray for lost people. Um, and we should give our testimonies and share it with them. But listen, before you ever take a name, before you ever take Jesus to a friend to give your testimony, you take that friend to Jesus first. Let the Holy Spirit prepare the soil for your testimony. Don't go busting in there with your testimony. It's probably, gonna, it's probably not going to gain you anything because the Holy Spirit has to do a work in a person's heart, and he will when we ask. And so, so here's a guy, a person doing what he thinks right, a person not looking for God. Uh, God's not even on their radar, and then suddenly out of nowhere, this thing, bam, 
Now, I'll give you an illustration of what that looks like. So back several years ago when my girls were in high school, I announced high school basketball and I announced uh, softball. And so Kelsey was playing softball, Anderson County High School, and the, the press box was right behind the home plate. I mean, like 10 feet away. And so I'm announcing the game and there's an umpire who was pretty unsteady on his feet. He had some issues, some must, I don't know what he had going on, but he couldn't stand up very good. And so what he would do is he'd walk over there and he would lean on the catcher. He'd just mash on her. And you're not allowed to touch the players, right? And he's just mashing her in the ground, you know, holding himself up. And, and I'm sitting here watching. It's about from where you guys are. And then and, and the catcher turned around and she said, hey, can you stop pushing on me? My back is killing me. Oh, oh yeah, okay. So what does he do? He came back over there. He just mashed her in the ground. She said, please, my back is killing me. He, she told him three times. What would she do next? High fastball, never moved her glove, hit him right in the face mask. He goes staggering all the way back against the fence, took his mask off, you know, and I'm like, that, surely that wasn't on purpose. He got his mask back on. He stumbled over there, mashed her into the ground again. What'd she do? High fastball, no glove, right in the face mask again. And I, now I'm laughing. I'm like, I cannot believe you did that. You know what he did? He started umpiring from about six feet back give himself a little more time, get his head out of the way, I guess. She got the memo. Excuse me, he got the memo, right? Out of nowhere, this fastball in the face. I want you to know something. You may be here today. You may have played religion. You may have said you're a Christian. You're not a Christian at all. You may have no interest in Christianity. You may have come to pacify a friend, uh, a parent. You may just be here because you're just inquiring about what it's all about. I want you to know something. There could be a moment in your life when just like you are right now, bound to darkness, like a fastball to the face, the Lord sends his Holy Spirit. He doesn't hit you in the face. He nails you in the heart. And he lets you know who you are and how separated you are and how radically he loves you so much that he died on a cross in your place. Out of nowhere, cutting through all of the noise and all of the confusion, he reaches into your soul and says, I love you. I want you to be with me. Would you take what I have to give for you? That's what it, the making of a testimony looks like that. And so we, all testimonies are not exactly alike. Now in this particular case, there's a visible, there's a visible encounter, light from heaven. You're probably not going to have that. You might, but probably not. You, you might have a circumstance in your life that's visible. You may have the death of a loved one. And, and it makes you think about life and dying. You may have a sickness or be diagnosed with an illness. You may have, it may be totally different, something visible, but maybe, maybe not a light from heaven, probably not. This one has a physical response. He fell to the ground. I mean, you know, if a light busts you in the face, you hit the ground. You may not hit the ground. I, I've had people come to me and receive Jesus for salvation and their face was as stoic and seemed calloused as could be, but they had an encounter with Jesus. Other people come and you, they can't even hardly tell you because <laughs> they're just toe up from the flow up, don't know what to do. It's different. It's different because everybody's different and God's co collision course with you is different. The response will be different. Also an audible invite. He hears, he hears a voice from heaven, right? You're probably not gonna hear an audible voice. You'll probably hear something that's greater than an audible voice. Let me tell you, I had a young man uh, who one, one day when we were in the other building uh, came to me and he goes, hey, I, I think God spoke to me in an audible voice. I said, bro, that's cool. I said, he's never done that to me. I said, uh, when did he do it? He said, during worship. This was when Joe Hovader was leading the music. I don't know that the audible voice of God could be louder than that music. 
but he said it was. And, and so I said, so you're saying to me, his voice was louder than that music? He said, yeah. I said, well, then who else heard it? I don't think anybody else heard it. Well, if it was audible, louder than the music. What, what? He said, well, I didn't really think about that. I said, what if? Just pretend for just a second. When God speaks to us, it's louder than audible because he speaks to our soul. Along with de deficient body parts like an artificial knee and hip, I also can't hear very good, okay? Been around a lot of industrial noise. I don't hear very good. But I, so Kendra will tell me stuff sometimes, or she'll tell me that she told me stuff, and I never heard it. And she thinks I'm making it up. I, I went to an audiologist. No, I went to an audiologist. He said, uh, Mr. Dew, have you been around loud industrial noises? I have. Plant air, maybe. Yeah, a lot of plant air. Construction noises. Yeah, I've been around those. He said, you're almost deaf in this decibel level right here, this range. And strangely enough, it's about the same decibel level as a woman's voice. I said, can I get that in writing? <laughs> and, and so I did. And I showed it to Kendra. I said, see, I'm not making it up. She said, make up what? I said, what? Huh? Because I can't hear her voice is in that range, okay? But l listen to me. Often, we don't hear things correctly, and if we do, we, 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 we massage it a little bit. We manipulate a little bit to make that message fit what our desire is. I want you to hear me. When Jesus Christ speaks to your soul, it's louder than audible. You cannot mistake it with faulty hearing. You cannot mistake it with a hearing aid that's turned down too low. You cannot mess this up. You can't massage it or manipulate it. He tells you the truth, and you hear it, and you know it, and then all you got to do is decide what you're going to do with it. And, and, and so you may not hear a voice that the whole world's going to hear, but when the Holy Spirit of God speaks to you, it's louder than audible. God spoke to Noah. It was different. God spoke to Abram. It was different. God spoke to Moses. It was different. It's different, but there's a lot of similarities every time God calls our name. And the key is when God speaks for an, an initial impact, our initial collision, his goal, listen to me, it's very simple, is to move us from darkness into the kingdom of light. That's his goal. He, does, he doesn't want you to walk on this planet in darkness. He wants you to walk here in light. He wants you to be a light beam to a dark world. And one day he takes you home and we live in light for eternity. It's an amazing story. Now, how do I know that his goal is to move us from darkness to light? Scripture, John 8, 12. Jesus spoke and he said, I am the light of the world. The one who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have light of life. That's, that's his goal. That's what he wants. Ephesians 5, 8. Or you were at one time darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live like children of light. That's his goal. John 12, 46, I have come as a light into the world so that everyone who believes in me should not remain in darkness. You, are you starting to get it? His goal, what he wants. He, he just wants to move us from darkness to light. And he wants, to, wants us to live in light. And he wants us to be a light beam to help other people find the light. And then he wants to spend eternity with us in the light of heaven. It's amazing, and it's so simple. Number three. So the rest of the, the next in making the testimony is it's better because of other believers. Most people's testimony, there's a few people who weren't looking for God, and God all by themselves, you know, in a reclusive area, just, just saved them, introduced himself and saved them. Often there's other people in the story. Uh, you know, you'll hear people say, well, I wasn't raised in church by my parents, but my mamma. Okay, you got to throw a mamma in there. Okay. I, I, my family didn't go to church, but a, a, a kid on my team invited me to their church. Okay, I, uh, I, I wasn't raised in church, but I had a neighbor 
and they took me to church. I, I, I wasn't raised in church. I got to college, and somebody invited me to a college group. There's other people. It's so amazing. God incorporates other people to help people in the darkness find the light. Look what happens in verse 10. Now, there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he replied, here I am, Lord. Then the Lord told him, get up and go to the street called Straight, and at Judah's house, look for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen a vision, a man named Ananias, come in and place his hand on him so that he may see again. But Ananias replied, Lord, uh, I've heard from many people about this man, how much harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to imprison all who call on your name. I mean, he has a reason to be worried. He's like, this is a bad, this is a bad player. I don't know if you've got the man of God, but this is not good. The Lord said, go, because this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the people of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, placed his hands on Saul and said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. When God is doing a work in a human being, often he wants to include other human beings. This is, this is really good. If you're here today and you're a Christian, God wants to use you to help other people experience what you've experienced. He, he uses saved people to make other saved people. And we've messed this up. We've gotten so silent about our testimony about Jesus Christ. The whole world is screaming their agenda. All of them screaming their agenda. And the Christian community just remains silent. Why? Because we don't want to offend somebody. I want you to understand something about salvation. The gospel is offensive. It always has been offensive. It always will be offensive. But it's only offensive in that it is on the offensive. It's not on the defensive. What do I mean by that? The gospel is on the offensive trying to rescue people from darkness and lead them into light. And, and so, so we should be telling our testimony. We should be sharing our story. We should be Ananiases of the world helping uh, uh, germinate what the Holy Spirit is doing in the life of individuals in our circle. I can't impact everybody in your circle. I can impact you on Sunday morning. I can impact you through relationships we have through the church. But every single person in here has a circle. You guys in the front, you students, you have circles, man. Circles that old guy like me, they ain't going to listen to me, you know. We got circles, we all got circles. Work circles, home circles, neighborhood circles, we got circles. And we need to be making much of Jesus in our circles. And it may seem a little weird at first to invoke, evoke the name of Jesus in conversations, but it's, it's what we're supposed to do. We need to be making much of Jesus. And so, so Saul now, he, it's better with other believers, Saul now is hanging out with Ananias for a few days. He had to detox. You see, a testimony requires that we detox. We're, we're, we're bound to darkness. Uh, we encounter the light. And now we got to separate. We got, we've got to get away from our old ways. We've got to get away from our old thoughts. We've got to put some new information in there so that, so that new things come out of our life. God doesn't want you to do this alone. This is what I love about the church. Um, you, you all hold me accountable. Uh, you, in the last two days, so, well, three or four days, 
I was driving over here to the church, and you know, my, my knee replacement was on the 23rd. And it's a little bit loosey-goosey about whether you're supposed to drive or not. So to me, it's not very loosey-goosey. It's okay for me to drive. This is what I heard. If you're taking painkillers, you're not supposed to be driving. Well, I stopped those four days into it, okay? And then I heard this. If you feel safe to drive, as long as you can stop and go quickly, then you're okay. That's all I need to hear. So I'm driving, okay? So I'm driving to church one day, and I passed Josie Thompson. And she's in the orthopedic world. And I saw her, I thought, ah, she caught me. She called me. Are you, did I just see you driving? Uh, maybe. She said, do I need to report you? Nope. So I told her, I, she, she's just checking in on me, okay? Yesterday, I'm driving down the road. I passed Oscar. And so I'm thinking, I'm driving him some. Do I need to risk my life by calling Oscar or let him risk his life by calling me? So I let him. He called me. Church family is good this way. We're checking in. We're asking questions. You know, uh, I saw a couple last night at the banquet. Hadn't seen them in our our small group for a couple weeks. I said, bro, where you been? I didn't know if I was supposed to send flowers. What's going on? Well, they had been sick. That's what we do. We care for each other. Uh, Our testimony is built up and made better with other believers. It doesn't mean you can't do it alone. It means you're going to be more successful if you're not alone, okay? You need to have somebody alongside you. It's biblical. Mark chapter 6, this is what Jesus did, verse 7. He called the 12 and he began to send them out by two, two by two, and gave them authority over the unclean. He said, I'm not going to feed you to the wolves one by one. He said, I want you to go out in pairs. When we read the New Testament, Paul had a traveling companion. We need to have people, you know, comrades that we're in this Christian journey together with. That's what the church does. It's why you should be in a group, get to know people, find your place to serve, serve alongside others. And all of a sudden, you meet people that you just, you enjoy Christianity more because you're doing it with people who may have a whole different previous lifestyle, but they had a collision with Jesus. And now we're on the same page and we do life together 2 Corinthians 6 14 do not become partners with those who do not believe for what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness or what fellowship does light have with darkness we need to roll with a new posse we need to be with a new crew we need to be circle ourselves encompass ourselves with people who are Christians it doesn't mean we don't encounter the darkness it doesn't mean we don't have relationships with lost people we must do that but our circle the people that feed us are people who are Christian first Thessalonians 5:11 encourage one another and build up each other just as you're doing build each other up number 4 the the making of a testimony is the next part is becoming a new creature. This is, the, this is where everything changes. And so far, it's, it's, it's preparation for what's getting ready to happen. Everything changes. In your testimony, your testimony is, well, this, was, this would be my life before Jesus. This is who I was. Then I was at church, and the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. Somebody shared the gospel, and you talk about your collision with Jesus. And then, you know, my, my, my mom and dad were good people, they, good Christian people. They took me to church every chance they could because they wanted me to hear the gospel better with other believers. And, and now you, you get to tell in your testimony how you're a new creature. What happened because of this collision with Jesus Christ? So here it is in verse 18 for Saul. Immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he could see again. And he, he got up and was baptized and was, after taking some food, his strength returned. Things look different. When Jesus changes your life, you, he marks you. He leaves a mark. Okay. He changes you. Your, your, your walk is different. 
when, after Jesus comes into your life. Your talk is different after Jesus comes into your life. Your passion is different after Jesus comes into your life. Your, your awareness of darkness and light is different after Jesus comes alive. You want to do things that people who are not Christians aren't doing. What did that mean for Saul? Saul's like he believes, scales fell off his face. What does he do? Wake up. What am I supposed to do next? Bam, let's get baptized. Just like the Ethiopian eunuch. He told Philip, hey, man, what I need to do now? There's some water. What keeps me from being baptized? Nothing. If you believe, I believe. Let's do it. Let's baptize. And they went down the water. They came up. Same for Paul. Same for Saul. He knew he wanted to identify with Jesus in every way. He identified with him on the inside. He wanted to identify with him on the outside. So he followed Jesus in believer's baptism. I want you to know something today. If you're saved and you haven't been baptized after you were saved, you got your baptism on the wrong side of your salvation. Read your Bible. What is baptism? You get in that water, you go under the water, you come up. It's a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And you, it's a symbol to the world that you identify with Jesus Christ. Your allegiance is to him and no other. And so you need to take care of that. Ephesians 5.8, becoming a new creature, says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you're the light of the world. Walk as children of the light. You're a new person. Scripture says when, when, when he saves you, all old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Some of us need to let God make a new creature. Some of us have a religion on the outside, a surface coat, a fresh coat of paint. And maybe we said a prayer, maybe we walked an aisle, maybe we were baptized, but we've never yielded to God and let the Holy Spirit make a brand new creature out of us from the inside out okay you, you you can fake it all day long but just like the great pretender one day we stand before Jesus as our judge and he knows our heart and so we have to make this thing right number five belonging to a new community this is my plan for growth every testimony needs to have a plan for growth you give your testimony, you say, this is who I was I met Jesus uh, there were people in my life who helped me figure that out um, and and, and, and now my plan for growth is I go to a local church. I've got a great church. Uh, I'm in a small group. I've got a circle of friends that are Christian to help me make good decisions, to help encourage me along the way. What does it say about Saul? It says, for several days he was with the disciples in Damascus. He's getting acclimated to Christianity. He's getting educated on the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. He's, he's, he's developing. God is using a circle, this network, uh, uh, to help him understand. It, studying for this, Chuck Swindoll has a commentary, commentary. This is what he says. Ananias quickly invited him to the family, to the community of the church in Damascus. Ananias knew that there he would find support for his convictions and protection from the enemies on the outside of the church. And he would be encouraged to move forward in everything that God had for him. That's what the church does. That's what we're supposed to be. We don't, we're not supposed to be about agendas and ideas and philosophies and arguments and all that stuff. We are supposed to be a people group who are, who are encouraging and motivating other people in our circle to be all that God wants them to be for his kingdom. We're to be full of love and grace and mercy and encouragement for each other. And I'll be honest with you. I've been a part of several churches in my lifetime. And this is, this is one of the best churches I've ever been a part of. God's doing a beautiful thing here. You're a part of a beautiful church. So don't just be a sponge and absorb all that. Dive in and make it more of what God wants it to be. Demonstrate love, mercy, grace, 
patience with people, love on people, witness to people, encourage and challenge your friends, the people in your circle to be a part of all that God wants to do in his church. There's a lot of people who say, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church because of one reason or the other. You're not being the best Christian you can be if you're not faithful to the local church. Scripture tells us, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, such as is common to some, even more so as you see the day approaching. God, call, God didn't call us to be alone. God called us to be together. God's not about loneliness. In the garden, he looks at Adam and he says, he noticed that Adam was lonely. So he made him a helpmeet because he didn't want him to be lonely. In Christian, God doesn't want you to be lonely. And you may be in a place in your life where you feel lonely. Listen, you dive into the church. I'm not talking about just attendance. You get in a group. You find a circle who will help you not be lonely because God doesn't want that for your life. And it all ends. Here it is. We're finished. Ready? The testimony. Boldness in testimony. This is why I tell my testimony. It says in verse 20, immediately, Paul began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, this man is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and were saying, is this not the man who in Jerusalem was ravaging those who call on his name and who had come here to bring them as prisoners to the chief priest? But Saul became more and more capable and was causing consternation among the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. You're supposed to give your testimony. If you have a testimony, you're supposed to share your testimony. And I remember when I was growing up, I had a testimony. My testimony would sound like this. It was a plain white wrapper testimony. I was a little boy who cheated on tests, got my answers from Pam Hackler. I was a cheater. She goes here. She knows it's true. I rode my Honda 50 mini trail and did donuts in the churchyard. I was a trespasser. I punched my brother in the nose. I was a hater. Okay? That was my sin life. I went to church all the time. I didn't cuss or smoke or chew or spit, you know. I, I didn't do those stuff. And then one night in a revival, the Holy Spirit of God whispered, whispered to my soul and said, Joel, I love you. I want you to be in my family forever. And in all the noise, I received that message. And I walked down that aisle, asked Jesus to come into my life, and he did. I got baptized. And I messed up a lot of things, but I've never lost my salvation. I've never walked away from God, okay? That was my testimony. And I wasn't excited about my testimony because I would go to a youth conference, and they would put some guy on the pulpit like Elvis Presley's half-brother who was a, a heroin addict, you know, beat up his mama, you know, I went to jail, and then he got saved. I'm like, now that's a cool testimony. Why couldn't I have been a heroin addict at nine? That would have made it so much better, right? And so that's kind of how I felt. I, I had a defeated testimony. I was not impressed with my testimony. It's because I didn't understand the testimony. And then several years ago, I was at Liberty University, and I was working on my doctorate, and I got partnered with a big guy on a project, and we went to dinner. I said, hey, before we do the project, we're eating dinner, and I said, How'd, tell me your story. How'd you end up here at Liberty? And this guy's about 6'5", weighed about 285 pounds. And he said, I've always been a big guy. And even in high school, I dropped out of high school. A drug dealer hired me to collect for him, collect rent, and uh, to collect uh, drug money. And he said, I started, he started paying me a lot of money. And I had about 10 cars and 14 rental properties and two homes. And he said, it's going so good. And he said, uh, 
And then my drug dealer had one of his girls that ran around with him that I just fell in love with. And uh, he said, and I hit a hard time, and I promised I would never use the drug I was selling. And he said, I, I took one, one snort of cocaine, and I was madly addicted to it. He said, and, I, and he starts weeping. And he said, I, I, I snorted everything I ever had into non-existence. I didn't have anything. And then the drug dealer got killed. And he said, I still had this crush on this little girl that ran around with him. And I went and asked her. He said, I've always had a crush on you. And I'm wondering if you would ever consider marrying somebody like me. And said, she told him, I can't. Because I'm running from God. And I told God when I was a little girl, I wouldn't marry anybody but a Christian. And he said, I asked her, what do I need to do to be a Christian? And she said, I don't know. And this was on a Saturday. He's crying, I'm crying. And he said, we went to church that next night in a little church. And that man preached the gospel. And Jesus came into my life. And he saved me from the inside out. And he got his, uh, his uh, phone out. And he said, and here's a picture of my family, my wife and my three little girls. And we passed her a church outside of Atlanta. And I said, man, that's a beautiful testimony. He said, what's your testimony? I said, from now on, it's what you just told me. And I said, I don't have a testimony like that. My testimony is I was raised in church. And I told him my little testimony. I just told you. And he started crying again. I said, why are you crying? He said, I wish I had your testimony. And in a flash, in an instance, the Holy Spirit revealed to me a testimony is not beautiful because of my part in it. A testimony is only beautiful if Jesus is in the middle of it. And if Jesus is in the middle of it, there's no such thing as a plain white wrapper testimony. There's only beauty and amazement and just a God-sized undertaking. And I want you to know today, if you're saved, you got an amazing testimony if Jesus is in the middle of it. And if you're here and you don't have a testimony with Jesus in the middle of it, it's not because he doesn't want that for you. And on this day, you could have a collision course with Jesus Christ and he could come into your life and write a new story and give you a testimony that you can share with the world for all of eternity. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. If you're here and you need Jesus in your life, I've walked in those shoes. And on this day, you could simply cry out to God and say, God, I, I, I feel your invitation in my heart. And I receive it. I thank you for choosing to love somebody like me so much that you would die in my place. Save me today. Forgive my sin. I repent of it. I want to live different tomorrow than I did today. I want you to adopt me in your family. Thank you for the offer. I take it. And you can be saved today. And for many of us, maybe we've already made that decision, but our testimony has been left on a shelf gathering dust. We need to get our story out, polish it up, start talking about it, and share it with the world, and be light bearers in a dark world. Father, I give you this time. I thank you so much for being such a great God. I thank you for your patience. I thank you for your love. I thank you for, for your commitment to us, that you desire more than we could ever desire. A relationship 
God, I pray for those who may be struggling with your call in their life. I pray, God, that you'll just bind the enemy from their life and let the Holy Spirit speak freely. I pray that you'd give them strength to respond and receive your gift. For the rest of us that are maybe already saved, God, I pray that we'll become bold proclaimers of the gospel of Jesus Christ in a dark world. I'll give you praise for everything in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.